0: Welcome back to co a Times Live podcast on which we chew the fat on all things automotive. I'm your host, Thomas Faulkner from the Sunday Times, and I sincerely hope that you're all staying safe in these most testing of times. Remember, folks, stay at home. It's not about you, it's about us. Now, although we're still broadcasting via our virtual studio, in this episode, I thought we'd mix things up a bit and try something slightly different with what I'm calling a cargumentative one-on-one, a kind of feature special that focuses on interesting motoring personalities. And to kick it all off, I'm joined by a gentleman I first met in the dust at the 2013 Kalahari Desert Speed Week, historic racing driver and avid Porsche enthusiast, Vanna Hartzenberg. Vanna... Thanks for taking the time to join me on the show.
1: It's only a pleasure.
0: Now, Vanna, for the folks at home who might not know who you are, um, you run a small restoration shop called Air-Cooled Wonders. And um, I was hoping you could tell us all a little bit about that.
1: Yes, um, it all started just as... I mean, just a hobby basically, um, my dad's always been a car enthusiast, um, especially a Porsche enthusiast, and um, and I actually came back from the States where I lived for 10 years um, in 2009 and not having a, a job um, lined up or anything, I decided to uh, pull my Beetle out that's been standing for the 10 years I was gone. And travel a little bit with it so um, I did just that went uh, through South Africa up and down a few times and then I needed to do something so I took the beetle and uh, stripped it um, thinking that the car is 50 years old and uh, it's something I would enjoy doing and that's where it all started and that was in 2010. While doing that my dad thought maybe we should buy a 9-11 and, um, or, and restore it and then I mean if it takes a year to restore then afterwards I could sell it and that would be the income that I generate but uh, <laughs> um, at least we woke up or were clever enough not to sell it so, um, so everything we bought we've uh, kept basically and that's a the whole restoration business uh, started, but uh, it was not a business back then. It was just our own cars that I worked on and projects that we bought. And I started doing research on Porsche history and, um, and especially in South Africa. So through my research and through meeting people and uh, making contacts and all that, um, I started having people ask me, to guide them with the restoration. So, for um, so in the beginning, I uh, was only gonna like manage a project. Uh, I, I never thought I would, you know, strip the car down and do it all myself. But uh, fortunately, people are unreliable, and uh, <laughs> you know, promises were made uh, to do bodywork on this date, and it never happened. And you know you get let down and uh, eventually I started doing it myself. I didn't want to let the guy guy down that trusted me with his uh, special car that's been in the family from day one so that was how I started off Um, and it happened to be a very special car. It was a 1967 911 S that the client's dad bought brand new in 67 was his first new car and I started teaching myself. Back then it was only Pietras, Kosana, and myself and today it's exactly the same. It's just the two of us. So it's a very personal and I mean intimate uh, business um, of restoring uh, cars and uh, being one-on-one with the client. I only have a handful of clients and by that it's literally one handful. It, I don't wanna rush things or have many cars at the same time. So. That's, in a nutshell, how it all started.
0: And your love for air-cooled cars? I mean, um, from Beetles to Porsches, why air-cooled? What is it about these cars that that just excites you?
1: I would say the simplicity of them, uh, you know, the fact that you can actually work on them yourself and even understand it not knowing anything. I mean, I've never been trained or... Um, with no course or anything as such to uh, be where I am today. And it's possible for anyone to work on these cars. Um, The influence definitely came from my dad's side. Um, Without him, I would not be here today doing what I'm doing. He inherited uh, uh, the beetle that I have now from his father, my grandfather. And... uh, that is what I fell in love with. Um, I basically toured a bit with my Beetle uh, back in 1999. I did the African Beetle Marathon. It was the first uh, marathon that they held where we went around five countries around Southern Africa. And when you do a trip like that and you have very few issues and uh, and the car takes care of you, you feel like taking care of the car and so you start loving what you drive and it becomes, it becomes life basically, so um, and to further that we ended up uh, driving a 1959 Combi from South Africa to Norway through 17 countries, that was uh, in 2000, a year after the Beetle Marathon and that just uh, was, you know, the final footprint into the air-cooled love that I have, yeah.
0: Okay. Um, And I mean, you say that you've never had a, um, you know, sort of mechanical training per se, but um, how did you learn about these cars? I mean, some of them are quite complex um, and some of them are quite, you know, um, unusual. You know, did you use the Internet? Did you speak to people? Um, How did you find your way
1: around these cars? Well, most of my knowledge comes from, um, from asking, you know, uh, through interviewing all the old guys from back in the day, the guys that worked at Lindsay Sakers and, uh, and everyone else that, um, you know, worked on these cars when they were brand new. The only course that I really did that I could say was, uh, was a metal shaping um, course with uh, Barry Ashmill down in the Cape. Of course, it's just a three-day course. It's a beginner course, but then, you know, I would call and ask questions and I would go out and struggle and make mistakes and learn from that. And uh, the more you do it, the the better you get at it. And um, I won't say these cars are that complex because we only specialize in – pre so it's basically 3 five, sixes, um, all models from pre-A, and uh, all the early 911s, the short and long wheelbase, but the long hood cars. So, I'm doing this specifically to try and be the best in only that um, era. I don't want to venture into the the later models and then know a little bit about everything. I would rather know everything about what I'm doing, you know. So I'm um, actually now installing like the whole wiring harness on a 1966 at the moment and um, teaching myself, you know, and where I need to ask questions, I do. There's uh, so many helpful people out there, so many people willing to to share their passion and their knowledge because they know they won't be there forever. Um, one such gentleman is Johan Pinar that's always been available and helpful. So with the wiring, for instance, um, he's a phone call away and if that doesn't work, he'll literally help me if I go to him and, um, and ask him to. Excellent. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with you shortly. Time
2: Select is your ticket to news without the noise. A daily digital edition of news, business, lifestyle, sport, and more. It's news you can trust anytime, anywhere. We know that's important now more than ever, and that's why we're offering a 60-day subscription to Time Select for just 60 Rand. Go to select.timeslive.co.za forward slash buy to sign up for this great deal.
0: Welcome back to Cargumentative. We're talking to Vanna Hodsonberg from Air Cooled Wonders. Vanna, I just want to go back and, and chat about restorations again. What are some of the biggest challenges you face? You know, I mean, you say that you're specializing in, in pre 74 cars. One would imagine that things like rust and corrosion would, would probably be um, at the top of the list, but is there anything else that, you know, can be a, a potential fly in the ointment, so to speak?
1: Well, look, a restoration will never be, I mean, a straightforward uh, process. There will always be hurdles in the way. Um, everything you touch will have some challenge to it. I've always told people that rust is the least of my worries because um, I would much rather take a car that's got rust than a car that's got accident damage. Because um, rust, you can replace panels uh, where we can, we try and form our own panels. It's all to do with whether it's cost effective, what the product costs overseas, bringing it in. But uh, if a car's had like a major accident, for instance, that 67S that I did uh, used to be a race car, and um, jog Bulliard, that owned the car, used to race hard but fair. And um, I was never shown. Uh, the photo of the big accident that Swat Corps had had until after the restoration because the client thought um, I might get scared off by it. But um, the car literally had all four wheels off the ground into the barrier um, under or on top of a GT40. Um, So that is a bigger challenge than rust is to then pull the car straight together, um, make sure that all the tolerances are correct um, the other challenge which is probably the biggest challenge is uh, the hands that have uh, touched it in the past because at some point these cars had no value to them i know the word porsche sounds impressive but uh, really it's just another car it's pretty much a beetle in my eyes the early ones but you might be refurbishing some part on the car and realize that somebody had replaced it with something aftermarket from a different brand, or even worse, maybe tried to make something uh, themselves to to save money. And um, that is where your biggest challenge lies is to try and fix other people's uh, problems. Um, there you could lose a lot of time. Restorations aren't really uh something you should do if you want to make money you should do it if you have a passion for it and um really the hours that go into it uh will never justify the income you make so um I'm in a fortunate position where I'm happy with that and to me it's a blessing that I can do what I do but yes yeah the the bigger challenge is um fixing other people's problems that's been worked on over the years on the same car okay
0: restoration is a It's a big word. It can entail bodywork, interior work, engine work. Do you specialize in certain things or are you a a one-stop shop for everything?
1: Look, I like to keep as much as I can in-house, but um, a restoration will always involve more than just yourself. Um, I always find it funny when somebody tells me that they've just restored this car because it's not only them, it's a group of people. I mean, um, I will be the first to admit that I still need guidance from many of the guys that's been around for all these years. Tim Abbott. Um, I've got a friend, Van Olker, that works on Beatles since he was 13 years old. Um, and he's been at it for more than 60 years. You need all those people's um, help, basically, to restore. Um, I do source uh, the two major parts of a restoration that I source out is... Uh, is the engine rebuilds that I sent to a specialist. I I use uh, Vickers Wrist from R&D Motorsport. I trust him and uh, have a good relationship with him. So we've had successful engine builds there. I also send out the interior, the upholstery I send out. Um, these are two things that um, I feel somebody else can do better than I. The rest I try and do all myself. The bodywork is what intrigues me the most. To me, it's an art form, shaping metal. And uh, so I really um, enjoy doing it and I take pride in doing it. So I'll spend hours on something you'll never see underneath a carpet or underneath another sheet of metal. But uh to me, it has to be right. So, those are the things I take pride in. I think pride is more important than anything else, you know, um, uh, to be satisfied with what you do. You, know, you get such a satisfaction when you do it right. And it doesn't always come out right the first time, but I'll do it until it's right, you know. And then um, I try and treat each car as my own. So, I'll never cut a corner. I'll always um, stay in touch with the client to basically guide him but uh, also ask um, what he wants you know and if it's not something I agree with then uh, we just have to work around the problem but I've been very fortunate to have great clients that um, just want the best for their cars.
0: And in terms of parts availability I mean I know that um, there's a lot to choose from in the 911 world Um, but when you Working with 356s, five sixes um, is a. I mean, if you do need new parts or new uh, sheet metal, um, is it available?
1: Yes, it is available. Um, I think it's similar to the nine eleven's parts. Um, the only thing I've found um, so far, we're busy doing a, a very special um, project at the moment. It's a long term project. It's a nineteen fifty two Cabriolet Porsche. So it's a pre-A Porsche, four years into Porsche's existence, basically. Uh, We've ordered some of the panels because it was so far gone, this car, that we had no information on it. So when we received it and started looking at it, um, we found that a lot of the pressings or a lot of these um, body parts that's been made aren't really 100%, 100%, they definitely need work. So sometimes you'll order a panel and still have to work on the panel. So, but for the most part, you can find almost every part that you need. Um, there are a few exceptions, but I also try and save what's on the car. I love to keep most of the car on it. You know, I'd rather fix a bumper than just order a new one. To order a bumper is the easy way out, you know, but um, I feel that the car's been with this. Piece on it for so long, and if it's fixable, I would love to fix it. Yeah, uh, that pre A, by the way, is um, also one of the few times that I've actually sourced it out. Uh, Barry ashmole in the Cape is doing the whole uh, body for us. It's literally rebuilding uh, Porsche. There's very little to be saved on it. Um, it was found in a tell and very rusted, <laughs> so he's doing that, and he's got the challenge. And we'll um, we stay in connection um, via phone, um, WhatsApp, and photographs. And I try and help with measurements where I can and um, answer his questions. But yes, yeah, um, most of the parts are available. They just don't always fit the way you want them to. And sometimes it's not the greatest quality either.
0: Well, besides getting your hands dirty in the workshop, you often find yourself at the sharp end of many air-cooled adventures. Um, You recently got a chance to road trip from Johannesburg down to Mikey's Fontaine in what many would consider to be the most exotic of the breed, a 1963 Porsche 356 Carrera 2. I mean, geez, that's quite something. Um, can you tell us how this came about and what the drive was like?
1: Yes. Um, okay, so um, some of the 356 guys uh, decided um, we needed to do a road trip and everyone was excited, so... Uh, Matt Creve down in Cape Town organised it with the help of my friend Clive Winterstein up here, and we were planning on getting 12 guys from the Cape and eight eight guys from up here to go down and do this trip. Um, uh, everyone from up here pulled out, um, and the Cape Town guys pretty much um, uh, filled up the 12 spots, but um, in the end, it was only Clive and myself that were going to go on this trip. Um, My 356, I've just rebuilt uh, the gearbox with a shorter gear ratio to try and use it on the track. So it wasn't suitable for the long road. And um, uh, at first I was going to just borrow one of Clive's cars. But then we thought the most practical thing was to go down in one car. And um, one day he just sent a WhatsApp through saying, uh, you want to go in the Carrera? Of course, that's a dream come true. I mean, I've driven the car before, but nothing like a long road trip. on um, And, uh, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, it's an experience uh, to drive this performance motor from the 50s that Porsche created for Le Mans and all the other big races. You know, it's such an incredible motor in there, and it's such a valuable and um, – I think they only made about 400 of these Carrera twos, um three, five, sixes. Uh, so to drive that car on the long road and through the passes in Cape Town, or not Cape Town, but the Cape, um, was it was incredible. I mean, to have a guy like Clive um, uh, like offer it to you, and secondly, that he's actually using his cars the way they should be used, um, uh, you know, it was a dream come true. Um, it did co- get cut short by the lockdown, unfortunately. So um, we only did about four days. I think um, we spent on the road, but uh, but four days in heaven. I mean, uh, the roads were quiet, um, the Karoo is beautiful, and then doing it in a red uh, Carrera two, it's just uh, unbelievable.
0: It totally is. I mean, I followed your trip uh, on Facebook and it just looked like you were having the best time. And how did the car perform? I mean, um, you didn't have any drama, you know. What was the experience like behind the wheel?
1: Yes, look, you'll always have a little bit of... uh drama on a road trip but that's why it makes it so much fun driving one of these classics Um but we had no real major issues the car drives at the top end I would say it's not much faster than a regular uh, 356 with a push rod engine in Um it might be a little bit faster at the top end but what what makes it uh, special is the way it gets there so Clive was uh teasing me because um, every time I saw a truck on the N1, I would start smiling because I know that I would have to um, slow down, down gear into third, look if there's oncoming traffic and then I can push the car past the truck so I can push those RPMs up there. Um, so I didn't want to overdo it, but I would take the car up to about 6,000 uh, RPMs and um, pass the truck. And back and to forth, and there we cruise at like 150, you know. And the car is happiest at 150 for an old car like that, a four-cylinder, two-liter motor. That's um, you know, that's really incredible feeling that you can get out of it. And plus the grunt um, with the uh, with the Sebring exhaust on it, oh, it's just uh, a combination that any true Porsche enthusiast would. Love, yeah.
0: It really is. You mentioned the engine in that Carrera 2. Um, that's basically the same engine that was in the 550 Spider, right?
1: Yeah, very similar. Look, the 550 started off um, with a 1500 motor. Um, I know that uh, Derby Ghost did upgrade it, um, and uh, I'm not sure where they ended up, but it was a 1.7 or 1.8 liter towards the end of its racing career. Yeah, technically speaking, it's the same motor, it's a four-car motor, so um, uh, this one just happens to have a little bit more oomph. Um, yes, uh, what I realized on this trip is that the Carrera 2 actually compares very similar to the early 911s with power, basically. I think the Carrera 2 generates 130 horsepower, I'm speaking under correction here, but uh and the early 911s were very similar. To me, that was the best way I can compare it as an early 911. But um, it is also a completely different drive. I mean, you sit with four gears. with The uh, the way you get to your top speed is completely different. Um, the sound, the, the feeling on the steering wheel, everything is different, you know. It, um, but it is definitely 356 um, feeling that you get behind the wheel, yeah.
0: Sure. And I mean… Um... In Porsche folklore, that, that that quad cam engine kind of has this reputation for being this mysterious, very complex, very hard to work on power plant. Is that true or is it sort of exaggerated?
1: No, I think it's very much true. I mean, I, I know that, um, that Clive has been struggling to find the right person locally to work on it. Um, there are a few guys, but... Um, they will all be the first ones to admit that they learning how to work on that motor in the, the guys that used to work on it. They not around anymore. Um, uh, my, my great friend, Al Gibson, he was the four cam, uh, guru in South Africa. He, he literally took care of, uh, Darby host as the one that, um, they won the nine hour with, um, John love and Darby goes, um, so, but Al Gibson is not here anymore. I mean, I asked him many questions back in the day, but that doesn't mean I know how a four cam works. But uh, so they are very complex motors. Um, I try to um, check spark plugs, for instance, and um, you you can reach them or you can get access to them by taking a little side plate off um, in the inner wheel arch. So they made accommodation for it, but basically if you want to service that motor, it's much easier just to drop the engine and um, service it and put it back in. And I don't even want to think how difficult it is to rebuild it, I I know that it's quite a challenge and there's very few people that can look after that motor, especially locally.
0: It's fascinating stuff that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Vanna shortly.
2: Time Select is your ticket to News Without the Noise, a daily digital edition of news, business, lifestyle, sport, and more. It's news you can trust anytime, anywhere. We know that's important now more than ever, and that's why we're offering a 60 day subscription to Time Select for just 60 Rand. Go to select.timeslive.co.za forward slash buy to sign up for this great deal.
0: Welcome back to Car Guesstative. Uh, we're chatting to Vanna Hartzenberg from Air-Cooled Wonders. Vanna, you're also a keen historic racing driver, and for many years your weapon of choice has been a water-cooled Porsche 928, a car that, with a reputation of being something of a money pit, has actually served you incredibly well. What has it been like to race, and would you recommend it to up-and-coming aspiring racers?
1: Yes, yeah, so- i Definitely always promote a nine to eight, but it never used to be that way. I too, at one point looked down on them and thought it's not a real Porsche when I, in the days uh, (laughs) are, I were very naive back then, but, uh, yet again, my dad's influence. My dad has loves every Porsche made. I mean, he's always been ahead of his time. My dad's always, uh, had a love for every model out there. And, um, so, in the beginning, I wasn't so keen on um on racing it um but uh the 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 old man that raced it at the time looked after it so well and he just wanted to give it a good home basically um so that he actually talked himself down in price, which uh, had to stop him at some point but um yeah, we ended up buying it, and I'll never look back i mean that car is really incredible it's um it's open doors for me. It's um, uh, it's made me appreciate all Porsches. Um, I've won the last two championships in pursuit racing with it, um, which is a great formula of racing. I would recommend that for any guy hoping to start um, racing, because there you can drive any car. Um, I think pre. 83 or so, but, uh, but it doesn't have to be a race car as such. I mean, you just need to, um, uh, comply to a few rules. Um, you don't even have to have a, ra- um, a roll cage, but, uh, always better. But, uh, yeah, so the nine to eight, um, I know that people complain about issues, um, with electrical problems, which did happen to me at some point. Um, but we simplified the, um, the wiring harness, we redid everything. Um, but I've really had very, very little issues with it. And yes, to win a championship, you need to have a reliable car. And this is what this car has been to me. I am trying to um, race some of our other cars now. Who knows what's going to happen this year? But I've done the first two races in a 914 car that started its life off as a 914, but it's a 916 uh a replica or recreation, and it's all different. I would love to see how well I could do with a um, rear engine car, meaning my three, five, six. Um, the front engine, I've already proved that it really can uh, win races. And then, then um, the nine one six is a, a mid engine car, which is they um, each different. I mean, I love to to race. I mean, cars that are slow. Um, try and make slow cars fast basically it's not the fastest cars on the track but you go around the track in the fastest time possible so that's what uh, triggers me and i'm doing it at a at a fraction of the price as most of these guys i mean the guys with the rsr replicas are spending a fortune to be at, at race day they buy a set of tires almost each race weekend between 20 and 30,000 Rand. I mean, my whole year doesn't cost me that and that's entrance fee, everything else. I mean, I go through one set of semi slicks um, for the nine to eight. It used to be 9,000 Rand for a set and it lost me more than a season. So um, yeah, never um, uh, look down on the transaxles or the water cools or or any car for that matter. I mean, um, be open to it because each experience is different and each experience will um, will surprise you. Exactly.
0: Talking about your 916, um, where is that car from? And uh, what engine has it got? Has it got the two-liter flat-six engine?
1: Yes, um, we bought it with, uh, well, look, it was a 914, so it had the, the Volkswagen um, flat-four motor in there. But um, somewhere along the line, Somebody had changed it, like most of the guys do, to a 911 um, flat-six motor. And um, this car is no different. Um, uh, The previous owner is a friend of mine, uh, Bobby Longer, that I met through um, the research on Porsche history. He was one of the guys that started the Porsche Club back in the day in '69. And and he's owned Speedsters and even the... um, uh, Abbott the Porsche Abbott he had one of those which is incredible but um, in any case uh, the last two cars that he held on to and um, he really enjoyed were 914s and then this 916 and uh, at some point um, I think it's probably close to two years ago uh, the opportunity came up to buy the car and um, of course who could resist and the ugly duckling has now become the pretty one i mean um the car is a 2 liter t motor for, or from a 1968 t um it is a bit underpowered so we've just ordered um some uh, pistons um and uh, we're going to change the cam to a s cam so we'll stay 2 liter but uh we putting it into the the S-spec, basically a few more horsepower. Um, I don't want to go crazy on it. I want to keep it period correct. Um, But really, you could do anything with a 916. The Porsche factory only built 11 of them, which 10 of them went to the family itself. um, And one was privately sold uh, to Brumos. But they had a variety of motors in there. Two of those 916s had V8s in. So um, there really is no limit on what motor you want to run in this car.
0: It's a fantastic car, that. Um, I mean, I remember when you could pick them up for hardly anything. Uh, Like back in 2009 and 2008, it was the Porsche that nobody wanted. Um, And now it seems to have become the Porsche that everybody is seeking. You know, I saw Magnus Walker recently um, redid one. And that also seems to have spiked a lot of interest within the Porsche community. Just away from that, I wanted to ask you from a, a restoration point of view, uh, you've always been a stickler for originality and uh, conserving the breed. What is your opinion about reimagined Porsche 911s being built by the likes of Singer, uh, RWB, um, you know, and people like Magnus Walker? Um, who kind of hot rod their cars, turn them into something their own,
1: yeah, look, I used to be strictly uh period correct or uh, you know the way it should be, but uh you know I've changed over the years many um and I've changed for the better. I can appreciate any car that's done with taste, basically um I really don't mind people uh personalizing their cars, I mean, look where Magnus walker is today he's uh he's He's taken everyone uh, by storm by just doing what he wants to do. And he, really what I appreciate about him most is that um, he could care less if we happy, he's happy. So that's what driving old cars or classic cars are all about. I mean, um, the guy that has a 10,000 Rand Beetle but looks after it and really that's his passion. I mean, I've got more time for that guy than a guy that sits with a uh, garage full of cars but never sees them you know it's um so and the singers um all those guys are doing incredible jobs um last year i was fortunate enough to go um uh, to roof for instance um uh, and uh, see what Allah's roof is doing there and they've taken something and make and made it better and it definitely has a place in the market and in uh enthusiasts hearts as well i mean it's it's really unbelievable what they do with it so if our it all depends each car that comes in for a restoration will have its own story i mean uh we for instance on that uh 67s that used to be a race car we decided not to go strictly um authentic we we left things that his dad had done like for instance his dad had put a sunroof in at some point aftermarket one that stayed because that's part of the car's history Um we also one of the few things we didn't uh, restore was uh, the steering wheel because it's got all the the faded leather and the um i mean Jacques bouillard's hands that raced with it and that uh, drove it all those years you know that's something special so I'm open to to any modification, if you want to call it that way, but um, as long as it's just done um, with class, you know, and respect and, uh, I guess, enthusiasm, yeah. Okay. In your opinion,
0: what is the best first-time air-cooled car to buy uh, for somebody looking to put one in his or her garage?
1: Well, look, it's been such a silly game in the last few years. Um, It used to be uh, something that... Was affordable. I mean, those days are well. Things might change now with the coronavirus, but uh, but but back in the day, um, one could afford them. Maybe not um, easily, but it's become ridiculous. So. so, I don't even know what I would tell a first-time buyer. I would probably tell them not to overlook a nine to eight, for instance, because there's some clean examples out there. They haven't gone up in price, but I believe that people will wake up, and uh, as you know, you've used Magnus Walker's name. He's got them as well. So, if he has it, it must be cool, apparently, so <laughs> to everyone else, but uh but, um, yeah, I would say look at something that no one else is looking at. Um, these 914s, I mean, people have woken up, like you said. It's um, unfortunately gone up in price. My dad told me the other day that it's the car that it's appreciated the most in the last year, I think, 400% or something as a 914. Um, so my advisors don't um, overlook the Ugly Ducklings um, or that what you thought were the Ugly Ducklings, Um to climb into early 911 is not easy anymore. Um, and if you can do so because it's well worth it as well, it's a different experience, but it's, um, it definitely is, uh, something that will, uh, warm your heart. <laughs> uh, but all Porsches are that way. So my advice is, um, and, and the best advice I can give is don't just buy a car cause, um, you were told it's good, so go and um, do research. See if that's what you want. Um, speak to and speak to an expert. I mean, I get so many calls um, um, asking advice So whether my advice is correct or not. I don't know, but uh, but just do your homework and then uh, take somebody to look at the car because, as you know, anything that needs replacement is going to cost a fortune on any of these cars. So rather buy. Uh, complete um, car in good condition, then thinking you're buying a cheap car and you're going to fix it, you'll lose all the way.
0: That's true. Always buy the most expensive Porsche you can afford because there's no such thing as a cheap Porsche. Then lastly, um, I can see producer Page is waving her hands um, at the clock on the wall. How can people get in touch with you um, if they want to find out more about your restoration services or simply are keen for some advice.
1: Look, you're always welcome to call me. Um, uh, my number is 0828254875. But uh, if you want to just uh, keep in touch and see what uh, I do um, on a weekly basis, almost um, I would say Facebook is the platform I update the most or Um, but uh, I also have a website aircooledwonders.com I haven't really um, looked at it in a few years unfortunately because the restoration has kept me busy but I used to write some stories um, and there are some stories on it Um, I haven't visited the site in quite a while but um, I would recommend Facebook Um, is one of the easiest ways to get hold of me
0: Excellent. Well, Werner, we're out of time, unfortunately. I mean, I could keep talking all day. I'm sure you could as well. Um, but uh, thanks for joining me on the show. It was it was uh, interesting to to hear what you had to say.
1: Thanks a lot for having me. I, I'm really privileged to speak to you. Only a pleasure.
0: And that's it from our side this week on Car Argumentative. Keep it safe out there, guys. And uh, hopefully in a week or two's time, we'll be able to get back into our cars and at least go around the block, uh, which would be nice. But until then, yeah, stay safe, stay at home. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Cargumentative.